Welcome to episode 39 of You Are Not A Frog, how we show up through the lens of the Enneagram. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. In this episode of You Are Not a Frog, I'm chatting with Annie Hannicom. Now, Annie is a leadership coach and she's a real expert in the Enneagram. The Enneagram is an ancient way of understanding your personality. You do a profile and you come out as one of nine types. Now, the Enneagram has been really helpful for me recently in understanding my reaction to particularly stressful things that have been going on during the COVID crisis. And I've invited Annie to come to the podcast just to share about the various different types, how they're reacting and actually how we can start to change our reaction to make things better for us and for everyone. So even if you don't know anything about the Enneagram, there will be something in this for you. Great. So it's really fantastic to have with me on the podcast today, Annie Hannicom. And Annie's a leadership and a team facilitator and coach, and she's a certified Enneagram practitioner. Hi, Annie. Hi, Rachel. Lovely to be here. Thank you for joining me. So the reason why I asked Annie to come on the podcast is I found her her insights really interesting. And Annie works a lot in the field of self-awareness, um, understanding ourselves, understanding others. And I guess as a team coach, that's a, that's a major thing, isn't it? To you know, enable other people to understand each other. And I think during lockdown, during the COVID crisis, one thing that has come out of it is that we're learning quite a lot about ourselves, probably because we're spending more time with ourselves, but also many of us haven't been under this type of pressure, anxiety before in in a completely different way. Yes, we've all, a lot of us have been very stressed. Yes, a lot of us have been very near burnout, but we haven't had life change as much as it has recently. And I know that I have learned an awful lot about what makes me tick. Some of it good some of it not so good and it's been quite surprising to me and have you found that you've learned a lot about yourself during lockdown 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy actually sitting in, in a position that I am constantly going, oh, what are others experiencing and how is it for them? And, you know, this is the work that we do, right? And even in that, it's almost taken more time that I've just gone, hang on, life's under a microscope right now. And the pressure's on in all sorts of different ways and in so many different ways for different people. And so absolutely, I found that. And it's, it's also been interesting how with the changes in how this time has gone, it's not been a consistent change. Stuff's changing all the time. I've certainly felt that and been very aware of how that's, that's been and felt for a lot of people that I've been working with. Now, I came across an amazing quote the other day from Adam Grant, who's a sort of business psychologist. He's got a book coming out and it stopped me in my tracks. And I just thought that is the quote for lockdown. And the quote was, many of us are grieving for a life that made us freaking miserable. So in this crisis, let's learn how to pivot, not just pivot businesses, but actually pivot into a life that gives us more meaning, more purpose. I'm, I'm now paraphrasing this quote, but that really struck me. And, and thinking actually there are things that can come out of this that enable us to live in a deeper more connected more resilient way and, and I think I just want to put a bit of a caveat on the beginning of this I'm not saying oh isn't it brilliant we've had this crisis because it's going to be much better after that's not what I'm saying and I don't want to make light of people's suffering and the grief and all the loss that we've all had but I think it would be fair to say that the life we were living beforehand wasn't that brilliant for a lot of us I don't know if you've experienced that but when I got to lockdown and a lot of my work was postponed and things changed a lot actually I found that for some of it I was a little bit relieved is that bad to admit I don't know no and there's I've certainly seen quite a lot of that and I think what what's also been so apparent is and what's so central to deep self-awareness and that we need to realize is that so often when we're trying to self-improve and and really get better at stuff we want to add things and do more and study more and read up more when actually it's more of a letting go and if you think about what you've just been talking about in terms of just the slowdown and the lockdown and actually losing access to lots of things that we could keep ourselves busy with, there's been a forced letting go. And so therefore, it's, it's not to say that it, it happens for everyone, but it certainly is relatively fertile ground for dropping into a space of self-awareness. The trick is, as with everything, is we've got to choose to do that. And so there's a reaction to, and it's what sits in that reaction. And as you say, you know, there's, there's such deep resilience being built right now. And so what really matters is how long is our, our runway at the moment and how far ahead are we really looking? Are we coping just for now? Or do we have a slightly longer runway and kind of how are we thinking? Yeah. And I think it's difficult because for, for doctors and other workers on the front line, you know, a lot of them work has been utterly crazy, you know, working a million miles an hour and it's a question of survival. But for a lot of doctors, it's been actually workers, you know, we were all put on standby. We were all told to go and second to different departments or go back and do this or do virtual working, all that sort of thing. So work has changed and shifted and that can be quite unnerving, really not knowing like you said in the uncertainty so I think even if people aren't stuck at home even if people are working there are still pivots that they've had to make both at work and at home and in personal life and I think for me actually one of the main things that I was relieved to have lost is not you know I love my work and a lot of stuff I do but what I was relieved to have lost is all the, the racing around and the stuff we were doing just to sort of 
as a family, getting the kids to this and that and dropping off and going to see this person and that person, which all added richness to life, but sometimes it felt a little bit, a little bit much sometimes. So I think when we're talking about this, it's, it's life in work and, and life outside of work. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. So, so for some, it's really been the quiet and the slowdown. And for others, it's been the overwhelm and the sensory overload. And, you know, I think that the trick is to also think about it's not so much what you do that defines who you are, that bit remains the same. And so regardless of how you react and what you do, that core of who you are remains there. But how you come through this is what really matters. And that's paying attention to who do I choose to be? I just saw such a lovely, it was also a quote around, as a parent, your children are not going to be remembering so much about the virus, the details of it. What they're going to remember is how you parented. And the same goes for partners, for colleagues. They're going to remember how you were through this. And stopping to think about that amongst all of the tumult is, a re again, that leads us back into the self-awareness piece of how am I navigating this? And am I choosing or am I just subject to my environment? And so, again, that central pillar of, of what my choices are here in terms of sensing myself and how am I operating here and how am I managing that is, is just a really good stop and think to have, regardless of the quiet big spaces, not knowing what to do in them, or the absolute relentless onslaught of just so much coming at you. And there's the continuum of anything in between. The question still holds. Yeah, wow, that's amazing wisdom. Yeah, people remember you for how you were during COVID, not what you did during COVID. It's like that Maya Angelou quote, isn't it? People, you know, remember you for how you make them feel, you know, rather than what you said. Yeah. And there's another quote, you know, people remember you by what you the most joy as well. And I think, gosh, that for me has been quite challenging as well in times when maybe I haven't been that filled with joy and I haven't been acting my best. So the reason I wanted to talk to you, Annie, was because I think whenever we talk about self-awareness and we talk about understanding ourselves and understanding others, it can be quite difficult to sort of do in a vacuum. It's quite useful sometimes to have a lens through which we, we view stuff. And a couple of episodes ago, I talked to, to Gita, who is another leadership coach, and she talked us through the, the sort of social styles model about, you know, how people are task-focused, people who are relationship-focused, how we might respond to stress in other people. So if people are interested in, in what we do under stress, have a listen. I think it's episode 34. But today, this whole self-awareness thing and how we've been reacting and what are the challenges and what are the opportunities, I thought we could have a look through the lens of an the Enneagram, which is something I've been introduced to only quite recently, but you've been an Enneagram practitioner for a while now, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not seeped in it over decades, but certainly uh, five or six years. In fact, I was introduced to it about, gosh, 20 years ago, I suppose. And so I was, you know, I did a profile and had a, and a debrief then. I was, I'd always been interested and it's popped up, but certainly in terms of deeper work with it it's been about yeah four or five years that I've, I've been working with it extensively so for the listeners who've never ever heard of the Enneagram before in a really short you know paragraph what is it yeah and there's there's obviously loads to read up on the backstory of the Enneagram and you know it, you could read up that it, it predates to kind of pre-Pythagorean times which sounds crazy but it was only in the 70s that a Claudio Naranjo kind of put the personalities overlay on it and the reason I kind of mention that is there's just an unbelievable depth to this tool in terms of a really deep self-awareness 
and the kind of personality piece, the, the patterns started to really emerge and get worked with kind of over the last 40 years or so, 40 or 50 years. And so it's a really solid tool with many kind of angles to it that looks at revealing the aspects that of ourselves that we are often very blind to. And certainly having worked with a number of tools over the years, I have found this to be possibly one of the best tools for self-awareness to do the work around starting to uncover what we're just a bit blind to in ourselves and what we might be triggered by. Okay, so it's basically a, another type of personality profiling tool, but it's based on sort of ancient wisdom and it's been put together over the centuries and used to sort of to describe, I think, nine different types of human personality behaviour and motivation. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that word motivation is important because it's, it's really looking at core motivation rather than a behavioural style. And so it plays quite easily with an MBTI or a social styles. And so it's, it's certainly not in contrast to uh, these absolute links and you'll, you'll see consistencies uh, across them. It just has a different base from which it looks, which is core motivation and then works quite deeply into head, heart and and gut, so our body work, our emotional feeling work, and our head cerebral work, and how do we operate between those three, and looking at the integration between them is a really important aspect of the work as well. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think there's been a lot of work very recently, you know, in the neuroscientific area about how our gut brain is really connected to how we think. And so, Again, it's a really good example of how sort of ancient practice is now being explained by the science. In fact, it's actually how we're feeling in our body, all these somatic sensations really, really affects our, our cognitive ability and our thinking and, and how it all connects together. And is there much science behind the Enneagram? I, I need to ask this because I know, you know, a lot of my listeners are scientists and things, you know, what research has been done to validate it? Yeah, interestingly, and I do a lot of the work through Integrative Nine, who are a, a you know, global organization, and they have, and I'm waiting for it. In fact, the first drafts of the research are out, and that's a very deep scientific empirical studies around the validity of the Enneagram. So that is one place where it's, it's probably been knocked in the, in the sort of previous years of saying, oh, this is ancient wisdom. How can we possibly trust it? And, you know, you can read up all sorts of things that, that you know, that might contradict what your belief system might be. And so the, the science has been you know, it takes time. You can't rush these things, but there's a big draft study that's kind of, they're, they're waiting on the head go. In fact, I, I spoke to someone yesterday who's involved in the editing and she's like, I can't wait for us to release this. So there's, and, and it is this sort of empirical scientific based study on the validity of the Enneagram and it'll be the first of its kind. And so, so that has been something coming down the line and, and certainly in the Enneagram world, people have been waiting for this because that is one of the questions that does come up a lot. Okay, so there is emerging data on the validity of this. And I think it's probably worth just saying to listeners, you know, I, lo I use loads and loads of different tools and models in my work in the Shapes Toolkit training I do. We use loads of different coaching tools, models to describe things. And, you know, models are a way of describing things. They are not the ultimate truth, but they might be helpful. And so I think all of these things, there are things in them that can be helpful to you, even if you can't scientifically prove them. And I just uh, encourage people that have got any sort of 
cynicism going on or just sort of you know thinking oh does this you know is it scientifically proven you know what if it's helpful to you and if it's going to help you work out your place in the world and what's happening with you and how you respond to other people then take the bits take the bits that are helpful I mean that's very much my attitude to all of these different models and things is that a helpful way of looking at it Absolutely. And that's totally how I would ever position if I was doing a workshop or deeper work with this. And very important to state, as you have, Rachel, but it's a lens. It's not everything. And so your, your experience and your, your culture and your belief system, all of that counts for a huge amount and who you are is central. This is a lens to use. And as you say, it might be highly useful and in fact what's interesting is it'll speak to you at one time and at another it doesn't feel relevant and then suddenly something will appear and you go oh that's really useful now because that makes sense to me and so I'd hold I'd always suggest to hold any model with light hands and yeah take the bits that work for you. Okay so Annie I'm interested perhaps could you share a little bit about some of the different types of the Enneagram and how they might have been responding to this sort of stressful crisis. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's have, have a few examples to sort of ground it and work out what we're really talking about. Yeah, and so, so I'm conscious they're sort of the nine types and what I'll do is I'll, you know, speak through those quite lightly and obviously there's loads of, you know, literature and, and reading up on this and YouTube pieces you can do into each type. So I'll touch on each quite briefly and they are the nine types and so Rachel, please do kind of stop and hold me if you've got a story to add or a question that you'd like I will to do I'm very good at butting in don't yeah. worry <laughs> my specialist skill <laughs> great so there we go so we'll start at the type one and so as Rachel was saying they're the nine types and there is so I'll work through each of those kind of in order just to keep things neat because with any of these tools and in fact I have to just say this and it keeps coming up for me I heard a podcast recently of, of a teacher speaking into this and saying uh, talking about the history of it but also just working with it it's messy and really like that because I realized nothing's ever got straight lines that is, is absolute. And so there's a messiness in it all. And what I think is very important as one listens to this, as I'm speaking through the nine types, don't try and work out what you are. You're all of it. You've got aspects of all of the types. And I think that's a really important way in which to go into listening to, to the Enneagram because yes, we do talk about you finding your home and where your core motivation might lie in a type, but you've absolutely got aspects of all of it. And so the work that we do, we talk about being you know, more integrated, and that's obviously a lifelong journey, but is how can I get all bits from all of the types because and take the, the gifts from all of them so that I'm not defaulting to one all the time. And in fact, a comment one of my teachers in this space had made, which I found so useful, was what Enneagram's really good at is showing you your box so that you can get out of it. Oh, I like that because so many, so many people, every time my husband has a personality profile done on him, he's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I don't believe it. You know, I don't like being in a box. And it's really funny because that is exactly what his, well, Myers-Briggs, INTP, his Myers-Briggs profile hates being doing. It's been boxed in and they never believe it. So I'm like, yeah, you're really acting in type now. <laughs> but that's good so yeah it shows you how so that you can escape that box I yeah. like that yeah so listen not for finger pointing and the big thing with enneagrams you work with your own type you never try and type other people or figure out what someone else is it will happen I am very <laughs> happy it will happen but it's not about you know labeling people it's about finding your own home 
and thinking about what you could, could naturally draw from the other types. Mm -hmm. So looking at the type one, again, the numbers of, of titles used, they're just words, but it, it is titled as the, the perfectionist. And so the type one generally is the type that works in right and wrong, getting things to a point of perfect for them is just utopia. They love structure, order, they morally sound, ethically are, are driven towards things being a certain way. And what I do just want to say as I go through each type, there are nuances in each of the types. And so there's a whole nother overlay to Enneagram, which I won't go into here, but just to say that there's, there's kind of an overlay of instincts and each type has three. And so they're different versions of this. And so they play out in very different ways that core motivation is around things being right. I want to live in a perfect world. And so even as I say those words, I, you know, you can imagine right now, it's like, whoa. So for the ones right now, those who find their home in the, in the type one space, there's just chaos. And so it can feel overwhelming. What can happen is an over-reliance on routine and rules and almost getting hypercritical of anyone who's trying to break rules and not sticking to the routine that they're so trying to hold on to because it's the one bit of thing that they can control. And so what can feel really hard is, is getting caught up in unimportant details and getting micro-focused on trying to fix stuff. And so the opportunity possibly for those who kind of find their home in the type one space is to surrender to the realization that we're not able to plan that far ahead. And in a world of such high complexity in the business world and in the world of, of science and health and all of it, there's so much coming down the line. That's such an important thing for us to be realizing. And it's about realizing that we can't control it all and actually surrendering and allowing us to rely on others to just go, actually, let me lean into others to, to learn to depend on them too. I don't have to fix it all. And we talk about ones being the hamster on the wheel type where it's exhausting. Can you imagine trying to live in a perfect world and it just doesn't yeah. exist? And so it's the constant run on the mill, basically. Okay. okay. So opportunity there for people who can see themselves in that perfectionist thing to actually try and let go of your perfectionism and live, just think, just surrender to the way things are and actually start yeah. to rely on other people. Great. And see the beauty and imperfection and just Good. going, that's not perfect, but it works and it's different and it's not how I've done it, but actually that's okay. And so, so dropping into that. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And so the type two, the considerate helper or the helper, and I'll say right now is for many twos, they're like, what am I a Christmas elf? Like what's with that word? So I just want to reiterate, it's just the words that I used. It's just a label. Um, and so certainly don't hold on to that too strongly. But this is the real heart forward and out type. They're wired for service. And so who can I be in service of? Who can I help? What do people need? A lot of their downfall is that they literally cannot put their own needs first. They can't even identify their own needs often. And so they are highly caring, nurturing, sensitive, very kind individuals. But interestingly, almost feel a shame when that's offered back into them. Just can't receive it. I need to earn the love and acceptance that I so desperately want. And so there's a, a lot of seeking connection and wanting to be seen, have a huge fear about being rejected or unloved. And so are super good at the nurturing space. And I would imagine that again, in this time of crisis, major overwhelm. There's so much need out there. 
and actually, and I'll, I'll disclose, I operate here myself. And so I had a huge level of anxiety raise. And probably have my accent that I'm, I'm not, although I'm a British citizen, I'm, I hail from South Africa. And a humanitarian crisis going on there is enormous. And I, I find that's the anxiety that rises in me now. I can't help. I just can't be of service there. And, and there's part of me that just wants to be there even though I mean, I'd be in strict lockdown, I wouldn't be able to do anything anyway. But it's mm-hmm. that, that overwhelm of really wanting to be able to help. Yeah. And so it can get very overwhelmed in this time with that. And so what's really important in the opportunity now. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. is first of all to prioritize self-care to go for once just stop and look inward and go you know put on the oxygen mask first make sure that you're fit for purpose first before you go out and help anyone else you know be you in the front line or be at home needing to homeschool and support your family either way if you're turning up to that absolutely spent on anxiety and exhaustion and and really trying to spread yourself too thin this is a time to really stop and go hang on let me really just take care of this vehicle first and also learning to ask for help yeah. just saying actually I, I could do with a break or I could do with someone's support right now yeah yeah and I think that's a generous thing to do I had a friend who was looking back obviously a considerate helper but she was so busy helping other people it was quite difficult to actually access her and she wouldn't take any help back. And it felt so one-sided in the end that actually, you know, I think maybe our friendship drifted away because I just yeah. thought she was always helping me and there was nothing I could do. And I felt like I was this person that needs to be helped all the time. Yeah, maybe, maybe I was, maybe I was very needy at that point. Who knows? No, well, actually the twos need to be needed. And uh, so okay. boundaries become an issue. And that's what, that's the blind spot. That's what I was saying. That's what twos can be blind to is maybe someone doesn't need you right now. I have a very good friend who I was actually chatting to a couple of days ago and she properly identified with herself as a type two and she's she's become very aware to this and said, I actually went and booked a psychologist appointment for, for my friend. She said, I went that far. And her friend just said, back off. Um, and so she almost was gifted the really clear message of like, don't do that. So the very thing and this goes, this is true for all the types, by the way, but you can see it very clearly with the twos. The very thing they want, which is to be loved and accepted, they're pushing away because mm. they're just needing to be needed too much. And so that's something to really watch out for. It's a, it's a real blind spot potentially. Yeah, yeah. My friend, I was just like, I just want to hang out with you and have a cup of tea. Yeah. You know, stop telling me you're going to clean my house or take my, do some babysitting, you know. It was a while ago. <laughs> my house is clean and my children don't need babysitting anymore, but you know. Okay, let's push on. We've got nine to get through. Yeah, and seven more. So the type three is the competitive achiever. So it's, it's very ambitious, can be quite competitive, high achievers, love to outshine the rest. 
get a bit of a bad rap about the winning losing thing in the high competition because that's how it presents but actually what's often the case is it's just a really strong connection to wanting to add value and so wanting to do that in the best possible way so so working alongside them is amazing because they're high performers drive fast do loads but sadly are the burnout type so often push themselves so far because they want to know that they've been the best to deliver they were the first to arrive they did the best possible version of something but often they're in competition with themselves and so they they lose focus of the fact that actually it's similar i guess to that type two thing just make sure you fit for purpose and and that you know you are good enough that value often comes from a place of really a deep yearning for the needing to realize that they are enough but pushing really hard and so are often in motion they're very forward focused and move forward and will get the job done no matter what and so you can see how the burnout can start to happen and so you know have a deep fear about not adding value or being irrelevant and so in crisis right now, there can be, certainly for those who are not able to do their work properly, is, hang on, I, I need to stay busy. And they, they can gloss over the real issue of trying to push to keep adding value and keep doing stuff. But it can become quite self-centered because that's almost their own need. And sometimes there's just a slow down long enough to let the emotion in, because often emotions slow them down so they don't go there. Let that emotion in and just be really connecting to who you are who you are in that forward motion forward push you can leave yourself behind quite often and there's a it's enneagram language can be quite harsh but the word that often comes up in the in the, the type three language is deceit you're deceiving yourself of what good really looks like actually um, and so there's this high bar of achievement and constantly chasing that and sometimes to let that go to go what really matters here and what is core and so the, the that is the opportunity is to slow down long enough even if there's you know there's an overwhelming workflow coming is within that not to allow that busyness to gloss over what value do you really bring and how what what's the emotion around that and being present to what that is and so there's a real connection with self at this time would add real value in amongst the kind of rush of trying to find and pivot and respond to and keep busy in a different way mm. is to take the opportunity to slow down a bit. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So those of you who see yourself as, as a perhaps a bit of a competitive achiever or elements of yourself like that, then actually yeah. slow down. Yeah. Work yeah. out what value you really bring. You know? Yeah, and stop pushing to add value. Sometimes it's it's yeah. slowing down and stopping to add value yeah. is is really useful too. And then let's jump onto type four. So the intense creative. And so these types are, they bring uniqueness, creativity, something special. They see, they see beauty in everything and they, they truth seekers. So the, the, I often say the, the comment all the elephant in the room, if someone really connects and resonates with a type four, they just don't understand that. They're like, but you just talk about what needs to be talked about. Well, what's the elephant? Like we go on headlong and we address the issue. And so they seek deep truth and meaning. And as I said, see beauty, but often can't see it inside. It's often that they can hold up the mirror of beauty for others, but it's almost like they're looking into the back of the mirror and not seeing themselves reflected. And so there's a constant yearning for, and so where the threes might be competitive, the type fours often comparative. Am I, uh, do I match up? Am I worthy? 
And so you can see there's quite a lot of desperateness and seeking for approval in all of these types. And I suppose as an overlay to all of them to mention here, a lot of what we talk about how, you know, in the threes, the pushing and doing stuff and the twos and helping and the ones and creating order, and the fours and in expressing beauty, it's the defense mechanism. It's the reaction, it's the coping strategy to not feeling that for themselves. And so uh, you can see even in the opportunity I'm speaking to here and what Enneagram work really entails, it is the slowdown to just go, what's in there? Stop building to create more and take away, let go, uncover what really is your genuine value and beauty and strength that sits there anyway. You are good enough. You are beautiful enough. And be samey or um, caught up in the crowd. And so where they might go in a crisis right now is kind of feeling drawn into the negativity and the hardness and the, oh, this is so hard and seeking meaning where actually there is no meaning yet. We're still trying to sense make. And also where there's actually kind of rules around how we have to operate and social distance and, you know, very strict ways of how everyone has to be rebelling against that. Don't try and make me conform. I'm unique. I'm different. I bring different ways of thinking and being. And so this can be a really hard time for those. And those are two quite extreme reactions potentially. Mm. And so the, the opportunity here, I think, for the fours is to turn outward because they can get very inward about, am I good enough? How do I find that uniqueness? What is my expression? How do I match up to anyone? Do I fit? Is going turn out and bring, you know, your creativity and uniqueness, bring those ideas forward because that's what people, you know, will thrive on right now is, is a bit of creativity and different ways of thinking. Voice the things that other people won't. Because, you know, the type fours do that beautifully. And so it's having the confidence to do that. Mm -hmm. And also seeking the extraordinary is actually a moment to go. There's beauty in the mundane. There's beauty in the Groundhog Day that so many will be facing right now, even in the busyness and the, the stretch. And there's so much expected of you. What are those beautiful moments, even in amongst all of that? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. We're running out of time, so I'm going to move you on. I know, so let's go swiftly on. So, yeah, five. The five is the quiet specialist. And so they seek the knowing, the understanding, the, the having a really clear way of being able to deconstruct things, very drawn to data, and are very self-contained, observing types. And so seek to understand. That is very much the kind of message around the quiet specialist. Very good at having boundaries, compartmentalizing and quite frugal with resources, kind of don't want to ever be depleted or, or even depended on. And so in this crisis can get drawn into their cave, actually, and, and just go get drawn to the data, even though it's not clear yet, and get consumed by that and going for, for reason, looking for kind of reason over compassion. And so the opportunity here is to say, to, you know, step out and look for shared understanding in community rather than going you know cerebrally into your head so move toward rather than away and you know open up humanity and heart that is the journey for the type five generally but now really is a time to turn outward and to step out and share your knowledge often they're the types that, that don't share until they've got a fully formed thought no one's got fully formed thoughts right now so so let's get on the sharing let's collaboratively do this let's be the wikipedia of working this thing out okay okay so that's so the opportunity for them is whereas fives sort of really love to just get into the data really understand things and often keep you know that that knowledge 
often keep people and things apart as well I've, I've read the fives but yes it's actually step out and embrace more the the community and the sharing of your knowledge and communicating with other people yeah and what the world really needs right now yeah, it's connecting yeah, okay. And then that takes us into the type six, the loyal skeptic. And it's kind of all in that title, which is, you know, they, they can be quite doubtful of an unsafe world and quite skeptical about what they see, but seek trust and safety in, in this world. And so are amazing at contingency planning, you know, very rule bound and are amazing at seeing risk, understanding risk and do doubt things quite easily and so so plan for the worst and so in many ways what you might find is type sixes are coping beautifully now because they're like they've planned for this they, they're kind of wartime heroes because they're like well this is what i've been planning for all this time there is potentially the flip of really kind of freaking out and, and thinking, oh my word, we're the world really going to end and this is really hard and going into kind of a deeper confusion about how to figure out a plan at this time. But equally there is, and in fact, I work with a, a couple of folks who, who've said, I'm feeling so calm. I don't really understand it. And they are type sixes who are going, yeah, this is kind of where I'm good and I'm strong and it's stepping into that strength and learning to trust it, but also realizing as many contingency plans as you might've had in place, you're never going to have them all and that's okay. You're never going to be 100% safe and nothing's ever going to be 100% predictable and neither can you create that. But have faith in your strength and your ability to build safety. They build amazing teams because they, you know, safety in numbers, right? And so, so they need to learn to trust themselves in that. So what's the particular opportunity for them in this crisis just to keep doing what they're doing? Yeah, and so, and so it's really just, it's for them, actually, it's almost to look inward and to go, I've got this, and this is really, I must trust my strength, and I must trust that I really can cope. Because mm -hmm. then when they take that back out to that doubting, not sure contingency, they go, hang on, but I can cope, and I am strong, and I have got this, so that there's less doubting and less non-trusting in others in normal times and so this is a time to really go i've got this and for people to see that in them because there's a real strength that they bring in these times because they'll have thought through they'll have responses and and ways of thinking about this that many other types wouldn't have to hand they'll have it to hand right now use that express that it'll bring real comfort for others and see your strength in that is really what i would suggest Great. And then we've got the Rachels of this world, the enthusiastic visionaries who are just amazing at building, at creating, at being visionary, at seeing things, at making sense of patterns that other people just don't even see. And so there's a, a real up and out type. Um, and so they're quite cerebral, they're energetic, they're the joie de vivre type we talk about of, of the Enneagram. And so they see things that others don't and have a real strength and just bringing energy and vibrance to things in a way that's quite addictive. And actually people love hanging out with the sevens because they just bring the fun. And as with all the types and as I've spoken to, there's always an underbelly, which is the sevens, often it's, that's part of their coping strategy in avoiding pain or discomfort or being limited in any way. And so you can see that in these times now, there might be kind of feeling limited. Oh my word, I, I can't go out and I can't socialize and I can't go to restaurants and the pubs are shut. And, and that normal kind of life of being able to be out there and do things is limited right now. 
And so options that normally would be mental escape routes are just kind of gone. I can't think that way. I can't do that. And so the opportunity right now is to stop the, the workaround. You know, there's, there's a workaround for everything. And so allow one of the things that's hardest potentially for, for many of those who find their home in a type seven is to allow the emotions in. Because one of the deep fears could be, but if I go there, if I really experience the anxiety that I know that I might go to, it might never go away. What am I going to do if I get stuck there? And to learn that frustration, anxiety, you know, even some of the suffering passes through. It just does pass through us. And to allow that some space right now is a huge opportunity for any of those who can be more avoidant of that. And just to learn that emotion, I love the, the fact that the, there's motion, it needs that. It, it can't get bottled and stuck. And so interestingly, the sevens present so much energy and light, but actually often it's because of not wanting to let emotion move through. Yeah, that seems quite a heavy underbelly to what is, you know, mm -hmm. such a beautiful and, and, and lively type. That's really interesting. We did a debrief, didn't we, recently on me and I have come out as a seven. And I do love connecting ideas, you know, these ideas about how you take this and you chew it up and you spit it out for this group and how you connect with this idea here. And I just love doing that. But I don't like these negative. I mean, no one likes negative emotions, do they? But if I'm having a day where I'm feeling down or frustrated or anxious, it's a real problem for me. And I guess mm -hmm. I try and solve it by just getting into action. Like, right, what can I do? What can I, you know... And actually, for me, that has been really helpful, this whole thing about in the crisis, just allow yourself to feel those emotions and maybe go a bit deeper with that rather than trying to analyze it away or explain it away. Or I think one problem is we're a bit too optimistic. Is that right for a seven? We can be sort of these hopeless optimists, which I, I can imagine gets really irritating for other people. Well, I think people gravitate towards it. And so it's the rose tinted lenses type. But yeah, it can be. And, and, you know, all of this depends on our level of, and we talk sort of integration. And so again, self-awareness, right? So it's that sensing of, oh, is this needed right now? And what is my impact on others? But what I will say is sevens do find it harder to get out the box because people just love that. They're like, oh yeah, it's a release. Let me go and hang out with my mate who never talks about the dark side and that hard stuff. And so it keeps them in their space. So the work for a type seven often is harder than for any other type because their upside just looks so great and people are so gravitated towards it. And so we talk about kind of social pressure to remain there because like, oh my word, if Rachel loses the plot, then wow, the world really is so bad. I can't go there and get my fix, which is not fair, right? So it's, it's interesting. And so what we project, we almost get more of. And so it's not all doom and gloom, but it, it is just the work can feel harder. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I, um, I was on a, a FaceTime call, I think, to my, to my mum a week or so, a few weeks ago, actually. And, Hi, mum. I know she's, she's a big fan. of You know, you've got to have a few fans of the podcast. And if your mum doesn't like it, then, <laughs> then you know you're in trouble. But anyway, and she's I'm just having a, a down day. Like, I think we all, we all are in COVID, aren't we? Just a real sort of, oh, what's going to happen? And she's like, are you all right? Are you all right? You know, and she was really worried. I'm thinking, well, I am OK. It's just I'm just not feeling that great and then I felt really bad for not feeling that great and the next day I was back to my usual self but it was interesting the effects it had on other people actually yeah and so that's hard right so you kind of gone oh yeah I must keep that up right because it's not good for people around me and, and so what's interesting about the pressure 
that when we're doing work around you know self-transformation or even in a coaching space when we we're making the decision to really do work on ourselves and think about what these blind spots might be and, and how we need to shift that often means there's pressure on other people around us and close to us or colleagues or you know workmates them then having a different relation to us that feels uncomfortable for them so they're like no get back in that box you need to be there so that i can be here and so we're not just up against ourselves and having self-discipline and self-management and all those great things we're up against the whole social system around us um, and so yeah this this is it's always big work so sevens let the emotions in then that frustration and anxiety do pass and just allow some space to do some some deep work okay yeah. what about number eight we've got two more left eight and nine yeah so let's get there so the the type eight the active controller active often, controller the active controller and I often think just that name itself and that they get they're a bit bullied in the enneagram because they seem potentially as as bullies only in that they are assertive they're powerful they're un, unapologetic in their movement forward they they kind of see the world in terms of strong and weak and you know, you need to go out and be strong. They often talked about as having a very marshmallow heart, that they, they've got a very strong eye for standing up for the underdog, believe strongly in justice. They really will hold the strength for others and in a space that they, you know, that they see needs, help and support. Generally are really strong. They kind of, they're real wartime heroes. Wow, there's a crisis. Let me run towards that because I can, I can hold that and step into that. I have a very strong, innate sense of natural power. And so what can feel really hard right now is I can't help in the ways that I normally do. I can't run out there and, and be helpful in the way, you know, and be strong for others. And my, my power is feeling really limited or constrained and are potentially having to face up to this feeling of a powerlessness which is interesting because the deepest fear of the type 8 can be vulnerability. But interestingly, that's potentially where one of the big opportunities now lies is, you know, to affect change now, you need to appeal to the help of others. There's no one person that can fix this situation. And so, again, it's a, it's a, it's a safety and numbers piece where actually you might have to ask for some help and step into that space, which is actually the space where our biggest strength of all lies, and this is the work of the type eight, is able to express weakness and rely on others. Um, you know, asking for help is potentially the hardest possible thing for a, for a type eight, but seeing the strength in that. And so, it, you know, seeing that influence and collaboration can really affect change they, if they step into working with others. And so, there's a beautiful book and I don't know if people have come across it the, and in fact Rachel it was with you that I first heard about it it's Charlie Mackesy's book on the the boy the, the mole the fox and the horse and you'll know it but there's this page of the little boy with a horse and the horse is walking away and the little boy says what's the bravest thing you've ever said and the horse who represents a part of ourselves says help and what he's really saying is, is that's the the biggest courage you ever need is when you've got to really stand up and recognize that you need help and be strong enough to ask for it yeah. um, and so the, the the work for the type eight is to bring their strength into what's needed but collaboratively so and lean into others yeah it's interesting because I, I guess many of our leaders or ceo types are maybe type eights so this sort of really forceful strong weak but have a really good heart and really want to help 
and that's really interesting for me to know that their biggest challenge is expressing vulnerability because if you read a lot all the leadership stuff these days is about vulnerability and leadership and how you express vulnerability and you know i've always known it, it's been it's quite difficult for people but actually knowing that that's even more difficult for someone who is, is more of an active controlling type you know expressing vulnerability is really difficult for them so that for me has been quite good insight into other people just can't just see i'm really happy telling people all my vulnerabilities you know I guess if you if you do a podcast and share a lot of bit quite a bit of your life every week you're happy with that but for some people that's really difficult yeah absolutely and and you know it's all about how you view it and also realizing that in asking for help it's an amazing trust building yes. opportunity people feel very entrusted when they have been asked for help and so you know again to recognize that is, is really powerful and then that takes us into the 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 peacemaker, the adaptive peacemaker, the type nine, and it's interesting, they sit at the top of the Enneagram, if you know it as a, as a visual, and there's, there's sort of no mistake in that, and that they're very empathetic and sensitive and kind of see the needs of others. They've almost got this all-seeing kind of view from where they sit, but have huge empathy and understanding and sensitivity, and yet can be quite self-deprecating. So being very outward-facing, they're very happy to step into and focus on the needs of others and, and merge into that and respond to that and mediate that space and hold a really harmonious space that can be quite self-forgetting. Partly in that, that might bring ruckus and conflict and that is absolutely not a space that they want to go into um, and therefore can be quite resistant to change. We've just got it all sorted now. I'm kind of feeling on top of things. Change can just throw it all up again and that just brings anxiety and, oh, what if there's disharmony? And so I really good at wanting to, to keep the peace, not rock the boat, but can fall asleep to themselves in many ways. That just, yeah, there's a whole other thing of, of what do I bring to this, interestingly, and so have a real kind of fear of being in conflict, but also don't want to be at center stage. And so this time of potential conflict and stuff going on, that fall asleep is not a, I didn't use that lightly, there's almost a an exhaustion that can come over the nines and it's, it's interesting I've worked with many and you kind of go what do you do when things get quite conflicting and you know there's upheaval in your space and like I actually just need to lie down I just need to lie down I sleep more I'm, and it's a real physical and interestingly I mean if we had more time we'd go into it they live in the gut center so they physically feel that the gut response this lethargy and and just almost bowing out and so that could happen now in the crisis of just I'm just going to detached now because this is all too much and I can't engage in this and this is is hard and I'm just orientated by what might feel like disharmony and interestingly the type nines are often the reluctant leaders and the opportunity right now because they're amazing leaders because they they step in with such empathy and consideration for others and what their views might be is to not be fearful of conflict and in fact, Rachel, when I met you, it was you doing that talk around the problem with the workplace of today is there's just not enough conflict. And so actually, I want to reference you here of what, what your meaning was in that. Oh, what did I mean? Well, because to get good ideas, you need people to disagree and come up with a better solution. But so often disagreeing is just conflict and people can't, I guess, people would be like the peacemaker, probably see a disagreement as a conflict, so they can't cope with it. And, you know, all the research around high-performing teams shows that teams that have high levels of good conflict actually perform way, way and above 
everyone else, you know, the, the Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team. And by the way, if anyone's interested in that, that's a fantastic book and, and well worth reading. But I think, yeah, there, there are some people that are so conflict averse. If someone has a difference of opinion, they'll just sort of bend over, go off and go, oh, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with your idea rather than going, oh, you know what? I think there's a few holes and there's a few problems with it. And I guess the issue with a lack of conflict means that if you're just so scared of conflict, you're going to agree to what everyone says and go along with it. You're not going to then commit to that idea down the line. Yeah. So you end up having really rubbish results because you haven't had the conflict to get your idea out and you don't then commit. So you're doing, you're just being very passive. It's like, I guess, passive aggressive, really. You're, you're conflicting, yeah. but not saying it. So, yeah. Yeah. And actually that's the underbelly of the type nine, a passive aggression can really live there. Uh, they, you know, not getting in, but can be quite stubborn in saying, no, 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 I will not move. And this is my position, but I'm also not going to create ruckus. And so again, as I was saying, the very thing we want we mess up so we don't want conflict but by being passive aggressive and not really stating things guess what happens just tumults can come further down the line so it's exactly that and so the opportunity right now for the type nines who might be feeling overwhelmed by just this conflicting time in general is to not be the reluctant leader you know at home in at the front lines whatever what is that internal leadership that you can really step in with right now and actually embrace a bit of conflict and as Rachel said good conflict we're not looking for ranting and raving but keeping the higher purpose clear what are you in service of because nine's having such a good overall view of what the needs are right now and being quite clear about those because they're really good at identifying those and being pretty clear about what those are I mean I, I have a colleague who said she would go to war with a type nine because once they're on a path and they move there's just nothing like it because they just really clear it's to encourage nines right now if you want to just step back and not be part of it step in and be brave and trust your instinct yeah. wow brilliant Annie I'm so impressed that you've managed to take us through all nine Enneagrams <laughs> in, in about 45 minutes that is really really impressive well, I might have done a disservice to some because obviously there's massive depth in there but I yeah there's, there's loads of depth so if people wanted to identify what their type was and work on it a little bit more and make some of these changes. What sort of resources are there out there for people? Yeah, and so there's a number of different resources. And, and I will say there's two kind of approaches. And one is there are two very strong schools of thought in the Enneagram world. And one is that there's narrative theory, which is that you, you never do an assessment or a profiling tool is that you, you would, in a, through a narrative way, but caveat, it's about a year, at least a year of work to really try the cotard. And the point is there that you really step into the parts of you that are there and find your poem, but you do it in a, in a really thorough way. So that's the narrative approach. But What's the quick and easy way? It's the quick and easy way, which some argue is better because then you really can start to do the work yeah. and realize what your triggers and blind spots and defense mechanisms are, is to do an assessment. And mm -hmm. so there's a number of them, certainly the one that I use and recommend is Integrative Nine. But what I would say and what they, they absolutely would insist on is that you do a debrief because and as Rachel as you know there's just so much to consume in there but also to really be clear about how to use the tool and what I would say is I would, I would caution against using some free online tools I'm sure you'll find some the ability is just not necessarily proven and so mistyping can happen quite easily but also just to say this absolutely is a tool to use for self-work this is not about trying to figure out what other people are or to finger point or to, to make judgments of. And so when you triggered or in reaction to something, the work is, what is it in me? 
that's being triggered by that. And so that's really important kind of overlay on when you're working with it, how do you use it? And when I was sort of looking into Enneagram, I, I didn't have assessments at the beginning. There were some books that I read that were, were just really helpful just to get an overview of the different types and what you can do. Are there any books that you would recommend? Yeah, certainly. So Chris Hertz, The Sacred Enneagram is a really good book. Any Riso and Hudson books, and there are a number of them that I've written and I haven't got a title kind of front of mind right now. And then Beatrice Chestnut has got the 27 paths to the Enneagram. Actually, I'm looking at it now. The Complete Enneagram. Sorry. Okay. No. 27 paths to greater self-knowledge is the bit underneath and I've I've read a very simple book it's more focused on Enneagram in the sort of spiritual dimension it's written by a couple of church leaders but it's really good it's called The Road Back to You it's a really simple one and actually I found there's a series of podcasts which in which they've interviewed each of the different types so you can just listen to like a 45 minute interview with a say a type two or a type seven or type six and it really gets it really helps you understand um, how how these people are sort of thinking and motivated so that's really good so we'll put all these um links in the show notes and we need to finish now but have you got a you know one top tip for everyone during the covid crisis on on what they should be doing really to increase their self-awareness and make the most of opportunities yeah and I suppose I I, part of me wants to go oh I wish I'd thought more deeply into that but actually there's a beauty in being put on the spot so the first thing that really has come come up for me as you asked that question is to take the time to notice what your instant reaction is to stuff and just to interrogate that just to sit with that and go is this what I always do and is that the most useful thing for me to do right now and really to be mindful of what other response might be available to me now. I love that because when I teach about, you know, our stress response and things, I always talk about, you know, what's the story in your head? You know, what's the story in your head going on and actually what might be true? So this is just, you know, what's my reaction? What's my instant reaction? Why is that? And actually what else might the, a better story be or a better, yeah. a better reaction? Right. Great. So if people wanted to find out more about you and your work, Annie, how can they find you? Yeah, I suppose the best way at the moment is on LinkedIn. So it's just Annie Hanacom, which mm-hmm. I suppose my name will be on there. Yeah, yeah you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm an organization called Proteus Leadership, but website's under construction. So it's one of those. Okay. <laughs> Watch this space. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That's been really interesting. And I think we're, we're going to do a, a webinar together quite soon about around virtual working and teams and things like that. So if you want to know more about the webinar, how to sign up, then do sign up to my mailing list. If you get CPD form or any of my resources, you'll, you can sign up to that list there and we'll send you out information about the next webinar and Annie would love to have you back on the podcast uh, to hear hear more about more about all of this to me this has been really really helpful and I can see how many people listening will be able to spot themselves in this and go actually that's a really great nugget I can just take away and, and apply to my situation now so thank you yeah wonderful and thank you for having me have a good day bye thanks bye Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.